You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Welcome to Bears Over Beers. I'm Jeff Burkus, a writer for Windy City Gridiron, and I am joined, as always, by EJ Snyder. EJ, 1-0. How you feel? Uh, maybe maybe not quite straight up 1-0. I don't, I don't feel 1-0, but it is 1-0, so I'm feeling pretty good. I'll take a Bears win how we can get it, but I'm happy we're back in the saddle. I'm extremely happy that the season has taken off the way it did. We've got so much football to talk about now on, on all fronts, and it, it just feels like... Uh, just feels like spoils, right? Just feels like excess, and that's that's awesome. I think we could all use that. Yeah, the one thing you always got to make sure after week one is you don't overreact. That is one thing to keep in mind to the negative, to the positive. We had a lot of both in this game, and so we will try not to overreact to any of it, but we want to cover what happened in the Lions game and preview the Giants game. That's what's coming at you. But, of course, like every episode, we need some beers you brought something on from the East Coast. Let's hear about it. I did. Uh, start of the season, felt like I needed something special. This is a beer that my brother-in-law uh, recommended. Uh, comes from Vermont. It is the Hill Farmstead Brewery in Greensboro Bend, Vermont. And the style is named Arthur. It is their Farmstead Ale. Arthur was apparently their grandfather's youngest brother, blah, blah, blah. 6% ABV, it is in their Ancestral series. They tell you about the yeast, uh, the malted barley that they use, all that good stuff. It's apparently a very fancy beer and has rated uh, extremely well on uh, ratebeer.com. So I'm super excited to try it. I've never had anything from the brewery, and uh, from what I've heard, it's quite a nice style. What do you have? <laughs> all right. You ready for this? Uh, probably not. Uh, <laughs> we needed to do something a little different because of the comeback win. And so I thought, how about a comeback cocktail? All right. I'm down. So I'm springing this on you. But I brought on, I just, I, I teased this on Twitter that I was going to bring this on the pod. Oh, and yes. So I here saw is a bottle of Whistle Pig yeah, Piggyback, 100% buddy. rye, aged six years. So what I'm going to do is I am going to pop this beautiful cork. Ooh, that means I get to pop and mine too. And I, beautiful smell. It, this is a whistle pig is really good. I was surprised cake. actually that you haven't had it because you drink more bourbon than I do. I, I, it's just one of those things that I just have not gotten to it. So I'm going to just have a little taster in my Chicago Bears shot glass of it, oh, yeah. so that I can get that to start. And then the cocktail that I brought on is called a sidecar. Oh yeah, the sidecar is made with uh, half a lime, half the juice of a lime, half the juice of a lemon, and then uh, you want to have uh, Cointreau or I don't know how to say it, but the yep. you know, the Curacao mm-hmm. orange liqueur, 
one one part of that, two parts of your whiskey, and then um, you know like three quarters part of of sweetener. It's kind of like to taste, and so I've got some demerara syrup for that, and then. Uh, you want to shake that up, and then I have a little Angostura bitters uh, dropped onto the top as kind of a float. And so here is my comeback cocktail to celebrate the Bears coming back and late in the fourth quarter, which we are going to get into, and we are going to enjoy a comeback cocktail uh, first on Bears Over Beers. Yeah, no, that is fantastic. Uh, I love the whistle pig. What do you think? You just took a shot of it. I mean... I mean, it's aged six years, absolutely smooth. It's 96 and a half proof, and you don't really taste that. You get just a little bit of the burn, but like six years makes it super smooth. You get some of those spicy notes, having it be 100% rye. It's fantastic. Um, I'm sold. I think this is a very good rye, and I want to get more of it, and I'm really excited to see how this worked in this cocktail. Yeah. Uh, this poured extremely bright. I think you can see that on the camera. It is it is very light. It is highly carbonated. It is almost champagne-y. Um, decent head on it. Uh, very clear color, light golden. And it's got a very, very crisp sort of fresh, I mean, farmhouse or Saison sort of smell to it. So, um, okay. yeah, a lot of very, very lively pour for sure. So I'm excited. All right, so one. here's the honest truth as we get started. This has two shots of that rye in it and, and another <laughs> shot of, of Cointreau. Uh, so if by the end of the podcast they don't sound like normal, you have been warned. But I am going to <laughs> try to get through this podcast as best as I can with drinking this comeback cocktail. Because honestly, we deserve it after co- going through that game. So let's get into it. My first takeaway from that game, let's start off with the rookie, number 33, Jalen Johnson, boy, does he look like he belongs. Yeah, I we were extremely happy when he was selected. He was a guy that we had talked about in the lead-up in the draft prep. Jalen Johnson out of Utah, big physical corner, looked like a great fit for the system that Chuck Pagano runs. They end up selecting him uh, with one of their top two choices, uh, number 50 overall, I think. And he... Uh, had some shoulder issues in the off season. I was a little bit of carryovers from something he had at Utah. He played through it his entire um, last season and didn't look affected at that point. Very physical guy. So again, a good fit to Bears style. I thought he is somebody that Bears fans would really, really like. Earns the starting spot, comes out and is in phase on almost every rep. Had a couple of big breakups on the big interception late in the fourth quarter, it was Eddie Jackson again coming forward from that you know spot in the deep safety that he loves to do. That's how E. Jax makes his plays, breaking forward on those routes. But Jalen Johnson was right there. Like Eddie Jackson ended up getting his arm in front of Jalen Johnson's arm, so he caused the pop up that Fuller caught. But you know, very very impressive debut for the rookie. The only sort of welcome to the NFL moment was coming soft on a little short route up to the right and kind of ducking his head and thinking, I can kind of knock this guy over like I used to in the Pac-12 and getting sat down on his can. Uh, But we won't see a ton of that. We're going to see him deal more of those hits than take more of those hits as time goes on. That was just his uh, you got to come hard every play moment. But other than that, I'm with you. Tremendously impressive debut. The Bears look, again, at the top level, set for boundary corners with Fuller and Jalen. 
Yeah, you know that the Matthew Stafford wasn't going to try Kyle Fuller much in this game. He's a he's a known quantity. You're not going to go after Kyle Fuller. You're going to go after the rookie. They tried him early. They tried him throughout the game. And Jalen Johnson stood tall. And you know that's a good professional quarterback in Matthew Stafford. And so that gives me a lot of confidence going forward. You know, particularly. And again, we don't want to get too up too much ahead of ourselves. But when we have Daniel Jones, who's a young quarterback, you know, you think. Jalen Johnson's going to hold up probably pretty well against a young quarterback. So very excited about him. What do you think about Tayshawn Gibson's debut? Because it looked a little uneven to me, and maybe that's bringing up some issues with that that red shirt, uh, you know, from the Star Trek thing that we talked about last time. Where yeah, some continuity in that back four might be important uh, thing to look for going forward. Yeah, I think he'll get better. I would say uneven. I would have said up and down. I think that's the same thing. He had some good plays. He had some plays where he played well and it still didn't go in his favor. The touchdown uh, to Hawkinson, he was draped all over Hawkinson and Hawkinson ends up catching the ball. That's a good play by Hawkinson. It's not necessarily a bad play by Gibson, but he doesn't make the play. And then there were other plays where he really didn't look like he was really comfortable with what Pagano was wanting him to do or what his teammates were doing yet. So I feel like sort of the other three quarters of the secondary, we talked about Johnson and Fuller. Of course, Jackson had a bunch of nice plays. Gibson, did he still looked like he was getting his sea legs underneath him. That may be lack of preseason, certainly, um, and a lack of a true offseason. You're not going to pick all that stuff up in Zoom meetings. He's a good player. I think he'll be a solid player, but his debut was not terribly solid there were some holes in there I definitely have some question marks but again let's not overreact it's week one I'm not going to bury the guy but I definitely didn't come away from week one saying oh yeah Gibson great signing I'm like he he could fill the role but let's let's see what he does yeah did you pick up anything else uh in the back end there I mean again I think Matthew Stafford's a good quarterback he was missing Kelly, Kenny Galladay. That Cephas guy got like, I don't know. Quintez Cephas, yeah. <laughs> so that was kind of surprising. Speaking of a that great I rookie debut, we're, we're not going to talk a lot about Lions, but boy, did he earn his take. That He had a very good-looking game. Yeah, that was impressive. I, I did, not a name that I really remembered much from the draft prep uh, that you guys put out, put out there. But did you did you notice anything else from that pass defense that gave you pause going forward? Uh, yeah, Buster Screen reverted to more of his Jets form. Last year, he stayed away from that. One of the knocks on Buster Screen coming in uh, as, a, as a free agent to the Bears was he was very handsy, that he was going to pull a lot of penalties. And for the most part, he didn't show that last year. He was, I would say, well-controlled, certainly not over-penalized and made... I think a lot more plays than um, I thought he would make. I thought he would be good, but kind of more like we described Gibson up and down, sort of Jekyll and Hyde plays. And there was a little bit more of that in the Lions game. He was flagged a couple of times. He missed a couple of times. He also, you know, to the positive, made some great plays, made some deflections, uh, played the tight ends tough. So just a little bit more variability from Buster Screen than we saw in 2019. Yeah, and I want to talk about the front seven before we flip over to the offense. And it, it seemed to me, obviously, the pass rush didn't get home uh, except for the one time with Hicks kind of on that rollout with Stafford. And, and Hicks just with an effort rush uh, kept coming, kept coming, kept coming, got the sack, which was you know, great to see Hicks capitalize on that. But, you know, the pass rush didn't get home, but that doesn't mean necessarily that there wasn't pressure. Stafford's, you know, quite good at getting it out early. 
I did think that the defense looked a bit uninspired in stretches. I think that they were caught a little bit surprised that they had to go back out there with a minute left to play in the first half. And then they came out really flat in the second half and then kind of picked it up, obviously, at the end with when the offense started to pick it up. But uh, it did seem like the Bears were bailed out by a lot of drops. Obviously, the one at the end of the game by DeAndre Swift being the, the most obvious one. But I think the Lions were credited with something like four or five receiver drops, which certainly helps your defense when the offense can't make the plays that it is supposed to. But what did you see big picture-wise from the front seven? I wasn't thrilled. Uh, I went back. The All-22 is not out yet, so huge shout-out to the NFL for waiting a good solid three days to not get the All-22 <laughs> tape out. Um, right. <laughs> Twitter, X's knows Twitter right now. NFL X's knows Twitter is melting down, and rightfully so. So I was really hoping to get a look at the All-22, especially for interior line play. That's a much better view. But I went back and watched the broadcast again. I really focused on a couple things in the front seven. One was uh, nose nose tackle or the zero um, or one technique, whatever whatever the Bears were playing on a particular play. And then right behind him, the inside linebackers, Danny and Roquan. They didn't seem very inspired on the first run through just the broadcast viewing that we watched together on Sunday in real time. And... I didn't focus on them a ton. I was looking at the bigger picture, but I certainly made a mental note that, boy, they didn't make a lot of plays. I need to check on them when I go back and look. So I did that right before we started recording. And uh, there was a variety of players that they put in the middle. They put Bilal Nichols in there a little bit. John Jenkins was in there. But this team misses Goldman. They just do. When he's in there, they don't have to worry about kind of a three-yard swath in the middle of that defense. They just know that he's not really going to get moved too far, and he might make the play. Occasionally, he might get a pass rush, but that's not really what they want him for. They really count on him as sort of the pin in the middle of that defense to pull around. And they didn't get that from anybody else. They didn't get that from Nichols. They didn't get that from Jenkins. Uh, Now, Khalil Mack had a pretty good game. I thought Jonathan Vodders had a couple nice plays on the other edge. Uh, we didn't get to see Robert Quinn. He was out with an injury. Uh, but the two inside linebackers on second viewing were, uh, you said, uninspired. And they looked that way really for most of the first half. Roquan had a couple of plays where he had one sort of TFL. He had another really nice play uh, late in the third, I think it was, uh, stopping DeAndre Swift on a little rollout screen that was a really athletic play, big-time change of direction for a linebacker. Didn't look like much on film, but when you go back and look at it, I don't think too many linebackers besides Roquan could have made that. But I would say even Roquan's play was maybe one-third, two-thirds, right? One-third either neutral or or positive plays, and about two-thirds getting swept up in the wash. All those long Adrian Peterson runs – They were not opposing those. They were not filling lanes. They were often handled by the blockers. That is completely sealed before the running back got there. Uh, The middle of that defense is a concern going forward. If those guys aren't going to play super well, or again, they're very used to Eddie and missing that sort of shielding, uh, you know, him keeping people off them as he does, eh, that's something to watch going forward. There's, they definitely didn't look like a strength throughout the game. Well, I was going to mention this a little later, but why don't we just handle it now? And it it seemed like to me this would be the perfect opportunity for Ryan Pace to run out and see what Snacks Harrison is doing, buy him his favorite bag of chips and box of Twinkies and say, come on in, man, and we need you. 
we've got a little extra money because Goldman opted out and we can we can bring you in here. And I know that he has mentioned on Twitter that the Bears are an option. And so that's good to hear <laughs> that he at least knows that the Bears are, are a team that he could go go play for. And so I'm, I'm wondering if, boy, with another effort like that against a really good running back in Saquon Barkley coming up this week, if it won't persuade Ryan Pace to go out and make that move. Before we get started, I'd just like to say that me driving a Lotus is an option, just in case Lotus hears that, right? <laughs> I think it's always funny when players are like, yeah, you know, this team's an option, right? Well, sure, you being employed to do the thing you do, that's an option. Um, I'm with you. If the rushing total against the Giants looks bad, and they have invested in their offensive line, took two high draft choices on the offensive line, two good players. We'll see, uh, obviously, Saquon, a very talented running back, but there's not much balance right now in the Giants' attack. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But if if the Bears get gashed, uh, which they really did versus Adrian Peterson, uh, look, Adrian Peterson, fantastic running back, almost definitely going into the Hall of Fame, but he's 30-er years old, and he's not as good as the Bears made him look. Let's put it that way. If Saquon really takes off and starts ripping off some chunk yardage, especially in the first half and starts to control that game on the ground and time of possession keeps the Bears off the field, uh, yeah, I think Ryan Pace might start thinking a little bit more seriously about what he might need to prevent that because the rest of the schedule has some very good rushers on it too and probably some better offensive lines that the Bears are going to face even than they have in the first two weeks. Well, I'll say this about Adrian Peterson. Absolutely going in the Hall of Fame, no question. I think he's fifth all-time in rushing yards. And given his advanced age at this point for a running back, one of the things that's really impressive is that he comes out and he looks like, wow, Adrian Peterson, he looks great. But eventually that catches up to you. And so by the next time the Bears play the Lions, let's see how many carries he's really having, especially with DeAndre Swift, the rookie, probably taking a bigger role. So uh, I'm not uh, I'm not convinced that Adrian Peterson is going to rush for 1,500 yards this year. Let's just put it that way. I don't believe he will either, and you're right. Come December, he's going to look very, very different than he does right now. He has in the past two years, quite frankly. And DeAndre Swift, just a quick note about the, the Lions rookie. Don't sleep on DeAndre Swift. Very good receiver. Yes, he dropped the ball at the end of the game that could have won it. He did get close on a couple other runs. He's going to start to break those. It's only week one, and he is a very talented runner and receiver. So he could grow into a thorn that sticks in the Bears' sides down the road. But right now, the Bears pretty much own the Lions, which is you know, <laughs> a happy thing for us Bears fans. I'm sure it's extremely frustrating as a Lions fan to see a guy in Mitch Trubisky who doesn't play that well against that many other teams just tear your team a new one. Um, our den master, Ken... Uh, at Windy City posted Mitchell Trubisky's stats against the Lions for I think his last four games and they're like they're Hall of Fame numbers it's ridiculous well let's just start there because I actually extrapolated those out to a 16 game season yep and and I posted that mark and if Mitchell Trubisky's last four games against the Lions were extrapolated out to a full 16 game schedule he would throw for 4,400 yards 48 touchdowns and four interceptions that is mvp walking away 
Like, you hand him the MVP, you don't even have a vote. Like, that is a ridiculous year. And that's the, it's kind of ridiculous that he has had so much success against one team. But that's that's really what it is. That's what we're talking about when we're saying, hey, Mitchell Trubisky's actually really good against the Lions. He's a Lion killer. And even if you add in his two games from him being a rookie, so you're kind of tempering those numbers and you extrapolate them out to 16 games, it's still 4,200 yards, 37 touchdowns, and 11 interceptions. It's basically Russell Wilson from 2019. Like, those numbers are ridiculous. And so the fact that Mitchell Trubisky has had so much success against them is really funny because generally Lions fans are the ones that chirp the most. Uh, but but is that something that is sustainable going forward against non-Lions defenses? That's that. Maybe let's just start there. You've got the Mitch switch as you have – hopefully you have trademarked I have this. not trademarked Mitch switch, it but I really should. i got to get it on a T-shirt. We, need to, we can make a T-shirt. We can make uh, – coast. I don't know what it is. We can make light switches, the Mitch switch. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Something uh, has to happen out of the Mitch switch. Yeah. Uh, but basically the Mitch switch is when Mitchell Trubisky turns it on. And this happened like six minutes left in the, in the game. And he, as you said in a text to me, he just became unconscious. And, and PFF put up, you know, we can talk about PFF grades. I'm not the biggest fan of the grading part of it. But they put up positively rated throws and negatively rated, negatively rated throws. And he was top three quarterback for each. And I think that really sums up what Mitchell Trubisky was in this game, was that he was very inaccurate early. And then late, he was just unconscious. And he was making some of the craziest throws and just dead on. So the Mitch switch flipped. Yeah, it's uh, somebody, I think you tweeted at me, did you switch? Did you flip the Mitch switch? And I said, I wish I could. It's kind of like, I wish I could make him play the Lions every week, too. And to be fair, Matt Patricia went out a zone that was very much confusing Mitchell Trubisky early in the game, went to man, and the Lions corners got hurt. Those are all contributing factors. But we've seen this happen before when Mitch Trubisky plays the Lions. May Matt Patricia never leave as the Lions coach. He is the gift that keeps (laughs) on giving. But there is a thing that very definitively happens with Mitch when he stops thinking. When he is short on time, when the Bears spread the field, go four or five wide, and again, he's hitting one of his first two reads, he stops thinking and he starts playing really good football. It's almost as if his brain gets out of his body's way. And all of a sudden, you see all the things that made me excited uh, about him as a prospect at North Carolina. Uh, you know, somebody mentioned mechanics, right? And the mechanics on the throw to Anthony Miller in the touchdown were perfect, right? His balance, his base, his rotation to his front foot, the follow through. That was a perfect throw. One of the best throws of his career, probably top 10 easily. And he just doesn't think. And when he doesn't think and reacts very quickly, you remove that extra time and you don't ask him to do the very traditional sort of NFL quarterback processing, go through your reads, uh, you know, make adjustments at the line, all those sort of advanced mechanics of the quarterback. And when you remove as many of those as possible, Mitch looks amazing. The question is, 
can you run a quick enough scaled down offense where you just let him make those quick decisions or will it catch up with him eventually will teams start to shut that down because people say well you can't run hurry up for you know 60 minutes it's not possible well we've seen it in the past we've seen the k-gun offense with bill with jim kelly when he was running the bills to four super bowls we've seen a lot of offenses where up tempo is the thing they call two plays it's check with me bam call a play throw for whatever's there right back to the line throw the other play set two more and keep going and it's a basketball analogy and i don't know if we have any basketball fans out there and if we do they'd have to be pretty darn old and what i equate it to is the loyola marymount offense (laughs) and loyola marymount in california paul westhead was coaching way back in the day this is the hank gathers and bo kimball team and loyola marymount all they did was push the ball they didn't care what happened. They played almost no defense. They basically played Olay defense, and the entire strategy was get it out of bounds, push it up the floor as fast as you can, take a shot, and do it again. And they would score like 150, 130 points in a game because they were all tempo all the time. They didn't care much about defense. All they did was push. All they did was pressure. And it makes me wonder if Matt Nagy might take a look at that and go, you know, man, when we let him go, and he does two things, X or Y, that's it. He's amazing. And can we put that in sooner? It's the whole let Russ cook argument that Seahawks fans have been making forever, right? And it's not, with with Russ, it's different because it's really put the power in Russ's hand and let him make the decisions. And with Trubisky, it's the opposite. It's take the decisions out of his hands and just give him two things to do, tell him to do one fast, and then keep going. And he looks so much better in that system. Boy, imagine how much fun a super aggressive attacking offense and then combine that with like, hey, hey, Chuck, make that defense hunt. Just go out and do it. Just attack on defense, attack on offense. Let's just see what happens. Let's play these games in the 30s and let's go. I would love to see it. And I would love to see what Pagano's defense looked like with 21 points in the first half. If, yeah. if Mitch went out, and I mean, you saw how quickly he scored. I was actually, we all watched it happen. Well, you didn't watch it happen, but that's a whole different mm. thing. Anyways, I was waiting for it because I watched it happen in real time on Sunday. We were all sitting there, a bunch of us from, from Windy City sort of were talking on Twitter as the game was unfolding, and we were looking at all this, and we were just like, no, I can't, no, no. Look, did you see that? Holy cow. No, this isn't going to happen. It happened. And I didn't remember at what point that was because i was pretty caught up on sunday i was not happy with the first three quarters in in re-watching the tv broadcast i was looking at the clock in the fourth quarter and i was like i remember this happening sooner right we're down to six minutes and 30 seconds six minutes and 40 seconds it's still not happening and i'm like when does it happen and it's literally right about just past the six minute mark he starts lighting it up and all of a sudden Everything he does, it's not like he lights it up once and then makes two boneheaded plays. Everyone, he starts stacking the throws. Bang, bang, bang. And it you can imagine, if you want to talk about from earlier, extrapolate that into a first half. And if they came out that way in the first quarter and stacked a couple touchdowns on the Giants on Sunday, if they came out and put 14, hung 14, and Danny Dimes had to come back from 14 points down starting in the first quarter... Like, what do you think Pagano's defense and Khalil Mack and Akeem Hicks and hopefully if we get Robert Quinn back would look like? Talk about the two halves playing off of each other. Oh, man. 
Let him go hunt. Yeah. Well, so the Mitch switch, I think, overshadowed a couple of major, uh, you know, big positives from this offense. The first being Anthony Miller looks like everything that we've ever wanted Anthony Miller to be. We talk a lot about Allen Robinson. We love Allen Robinson. We'll leave the social media Allen Robinson trying to get paid stuff for another time. Anthony Miller, we are big fans of Anthony Miller on this podcast. I did an interview with him last year. Very much a big fan of him. You loved him coming out. You were hoping the Bears would draft him. They did. He looks awesome. He's tremendous. And again, I remembered the two big catches, obviously the touchdown, and then the other catch he made along the sidelines, which everybody, even in viewing when we were watching it together, was like, he didn't catch that. Like that, that was a good effort, but he didn't. And then they went back to the replay and we were like, wait, what? Holy crap. He caught that there. I don't think any other receiver on the team, even Allen Robinson, who is immensely talented, makes that catch. Like Anthony Miller played out of his mind. And then he had another one where he reached behind him one handed and he had another big third down conversion early in the, or early in the third. He really powered in a very sort of, uh, not, number of catches way but in a big catch impact way not even including the touchdown he made clutch catches throughout the game and had less of the sort of boneheaded mistakes which have been mixed in in previous seasons with his play he was he was burning people on sunday and joe judge by name called out anthony miller in a press conference and said I'm telling my guys, keep an eye on him. This guy plays 100 miles an hour, and he always has separation. I'm looking at the film, and he always has separation. Many of us, um, Robert Schmitz and everybody else who looks at X and O's about the Bears over the last couple of years have said, look at Anthony Miller. Like His really good routes are being wasted, squandered. He is open more often than he gets hit with, and even if he caught half of those, his stats would be amazing. Well, on Sunday, again, the stats necessarily, if you look at the stat line, it's not crazy. But if you look at when and where he made those catches and the impact that they had, he was huge. Right. Yeah, and you think that, you know, with Trubisky, we know that going through the progression is not necessarily something that he does uh, particularly well. Uh, at least he has not shown evidence of that. And so I think a lot of the the deal with Miller is that he's just probably the second or third read on a play and Trubisky just never gets to him. And so a lot of those routes are wasted. And so you hope that Nagy goes back and sees that. And instead of just trying to be like, okay, you have to come off your first read if it's not there and look, Miller's open. He needs to start calling plays where it's like, Miller's your first read. (laughs) Because I know that this is a guy with his route running ability, he's going to be open. So he's your first read. And we're going to start we're going to start calling more plays with that. And so I'm hoping that if Mitch doesn't show that progression to be able to, to make that second, third read, that they just start calling more plays for Miller to be the primary option. No, I'm with that. I would be completely satisfied with the Bears offense where it was largely a two read option and the two reads were Robinson and Miller. And it doesn't have to be in that order. Like you said, Miller should be the top read occasionally because he is very often open. And Robinson, too. Robinson is a very good technical route runner. He's not one of those guys that just wins on physicality. He is a technician as well. And if you just read those two guys on probably 80 85% of your passing plays, your offense would look really good. And then the other story that I think was kind of buried is that, hey, this running game looks pretty 
good. Uh, it saw a little bit more outside zone. I thought the running backs, both Tariq Cohen and David Montgomery, looked like they ran with a little bit more purpose, less hesitation. They just sort of picked their hole and went. And I thought the old line looked pretty good. I have to take my cap off to Jermaine Fetty. It looked like he actually played pretty well. Uh, what did you see from the O-line in the run game? Yeah, the O-line in the run game was the early story in this game. Uh, even in the first quarter, several of us had drew some oohs and ahs from the, from the Windy City crew as we were watching this because, yeah, I think we got a little bit shell-shocked last year thinking that the O-line was going to be very good, had a lot of talent, and really just... 2019 was a dumpster fire from week one we had missed assignments we had blown gaps and so i don't know if harry Hestad was asleep at the switch or or what happened there but I, I think juan castillo is a miracle worker because not only is this line looking competent but they're actually looking professional and making holes and it was really evident didn't matter the running back patterson cohen montgomery they all had good gains early Fetty was a difference maker in the run game. He was moving people. A lot of people were worried about him. I thought he was going to be fine if they played him at guard, which we all thought was the plan. If they were going to move him to tackle, I thought less so because I've seen him play tackle in Seattle. It's not a great thing. But as a big guy with strength in a phone booth, he's gotten much stronger even since he left college and made the transition inside. He was moving people. He was surprisingly good in pass pro as well. That was a thing I sort of checked into when I went back and watched the rewatched the the broadcast view. He did have one lay block, but Mitch bailed him out and ran for like seven yards. That was his scramble in the third quarter. That was a complete Effetti miss on his defender. He didn't think he had the guy, and the guy ran right around him, and Mitch ran the other way. It was kind of like the revolving door play. But Effetti moved people white hair was very solid i only saw one shaky snap in broadcast i didn't see any more in replay than that one and he was again there were no open gate plays where they looked at each other afterwards and james daniels is the same thing he is digging people out on the other side he is a lot bigger than he was at iowa and there's that interior of the line really controlled and one of the things that got lost, or not lost, but isn't being talked about, is Nagy completely reworked his run game. He did not tweak it. This is nothing we've seen for the first two years. He mixed inside zone, outside zone. They ran some power. They ran gap. They did a bunch of stuff that we haven't seen from Nagy. And I think it takes a huge... Uh, I think it takes a lot of humility as a coach in the National Football League to say, I'm going to scrap what I've done before and kind of start over. And that's what it looks like with the run game. And maybe it's Castillo's influence. Maybe it's something else. But the run game was completely different in scheme. It was effective. It was productive. They gashed him a couple times early and kind of set the tone. It was a huge difference, night and day from 2019. Yeah, it looked a lot more like the Philadelphia attack, and so I think that maybe they went back and looked at some tape and said, "Yeah, let's let's see what uh, let's see what Doug Peterson's done on the run game and see if we can pull some of that out." But if you kind of think about it, it makes this really does make sense on paper. I mean, White here is a he's a big center, like he's really a guard playing center. That's great versatility in all that. Daniels put on a lot of muscle over the last two years. Two off seasons have done him incredibly well, and he is a beefy guard. You've got a tackle moved down to guard who just wants to be a road grader. Bobby Massey is 
a giant human being at right tackle. He is your prototypical road grader at right guard. This team should be really good at, at running the football. And they had the best uh, uh, offensive line stat out there, which was like uh, expected yards per carry. The Bears were first in the league in week one. That's that. Let's keep that up because that is a great stat to have as an offensive line because that means your guy's not getting touched until the second level. Yeah, I fully agree. And all three running backs, uh, you know, are going to benefit from that. Montgomery looked really good sort of trying to break that second and third tackle at two or three yards deep in the Lions defense instead of in the Bears backfield like last year. And he's going to bust some of those. He is running hard. It is amazing that he even played coming back from his hamstring. But all his teammates in college said that he was that guy, the Terminator, that would just kind of shuff off injuries that shelved other guys, come back, and and not look affected. He looked that way on Sunday. I didn't see any hesitation at his step. He was pulling guys. He was trying to break tackles. He Again, as this, this is the first outing, no preseason, no real camp. And they did this against what is a decent defensive line. It's not, you know, the L.A. Chargers. It's not the Washington defensive line. But it's a good, solid professional defensive line without no names on it. And they tore them up. To I mean, to your point, to the stat, to the eye test, they were ripping off holes and the backs were hitting them. If they start to dial that in, you know this as a former offensive lineman, right? As you start to know and gel and figure out, no, no, he's going to get that. I don't have to get it. I can get the next guy, right? You're going to start to see some of those pop runs from Montgomery, from Patterson, right? When they run outside zone and he just has to go outside till he sees his hole. That's very much like a kick return to him. And he's obviously tremendous at that, one of the best in the league. So we're going to start to see some pop plays in the running game, and that is going to lift this offense. Offensive linemen go to sleep dreaming about run blocking and pancaking <laughs> and all that. They don't go to sleep thinking about they, – they go to sleep in fear thinking about pass rush and, <laughs> and, and pass rush moves. They, they go to sleep dreaming yeah. about just like Dream versus nightmare. Okay, so, I'm with you. I'm yes, following. Yes, absolutely. So, all right, well, let's put a cap on this game. Uh, it's 1-0, and and we need to move on to the New Jersey – I mean New York Giants. And so we will do that after the break. All right, EJ, so let's get into the Giants. So the Giants, uh, they played on Monday night. They lost their home op- uh, their opener to the Steelers. Game I didn't think was super competitive, um, but let's be honest, the Steelers I think are going to be a pretty good team this year if Big Ben can stay healthy. They have a lot of talent. Their defense is really good, and so the Steelers are really interesting. I'm, I'm glad that the Bears don't have to face them this year. Giants squad, I, I don't think they're that good. Um, they've been a little bit of a thorn in the side of the Bears the last two years. The Chase Daniel game in 2018 that they lost, which was uh, really came back to haunt them when it came time to seeding. And then last year was a really competitive affair with a Giants team that you know really wasn't very good. The Bears managed to pull out a 19-14 to victory. And so this team, while I have been very negative uh about dave gettleman and i know you are as well and we don't really understand how he's building that team and we are just waiting for the inevitable firing and uh, new management to take over this team has played the bears pretty tough in the last couple years and so i wanted to go through a couple things that i think are the keys to beating the giants and you jump in and and uh 
you know, add to it as we go along. But the first thing that I think needs to happen is this pass rush needs to step up and find a way to make Daniel Jones uncomfortable. And I, yeah, sacks are great if we can, you know, put seven, eight sacks on Daniel Jones. That's fantastic. But more than anything, we just need to harass him into making bad decisions. He's prone to make a few mistakes. He's going to throw a few of the Bears' way. And if the pass rush is able to get him more <laughs> of those bad passes, Kyle Fuller, Eddie Jackson, hopefully Jalen Johnson, they are going to have opportunities in this game. Absolutely. One of the biggest blind spots in Danny Dimes' game uh, is he just does not have that prototypical thing that great quarterbacks have, which is that sixth sense, that spidey sense of when the rush is coming. He doesn't feel it. He doesn't move very well uh, when he doesn't feel it. He's a very athletic guy. He moves well when he sees it, but he doesn't see it all that often. And if you can get to him early, it absolutely rattles the mental state, which you need to do because of all the things he's good at, he is a very good platform thrower. He has good mechanics. He had a beautiful 41-yard touchdown uh, against the Steelers. Uh, I watched his head coach, Joe Judge, uh, worked that up on the on the sort of whiteboard. He did that this week for the media. You can find it on Twitter. It's actually very instructional if for any of you that are interested in sort of what an offense is doing to counter what a defense is doing. Uh, Joe Judge did an amazing job of walking through both what his team was doing and what Pittsburgh was doing. But if you give Danny really good time, let him set that platform – he is a fine thrower of the football. If you harass him, and that doesn't necessarily mean sacks. That can be pressures. That can be hits. That can be, you know, Khalil Mack's sort of trademark tip the football and recover it. Any of that stuff is really going to get him off his game. And while the Giants invested in their offensive line, especially heavily in this draft, two early draft picks at tackle, both good players, they're still gelling too, and they did not look good against Pittsburgh's pass rush. Uh, we don't know if Robert Quinn's going to play yet. If he does, I don't like the outlook for the Giants in this game because yeah. that's it's not a good matchup for them early in the year. Absolutely. I mean, they have to just be terrified because Pittsburgh's pass rush is one of the best. Then they have to go to Chicago and play one of the best pass rushes in the league, and that, you know, Khalil Mack's going to send fear down your spine every week. Anyway, I, I was listening to Robert Mays' new podcast. He's with The Athletic now, mm -hmm. so The Athletic Football Show. And he had Quincy Avery on, who's a quarterback consultant. Mm -hmm. And he was talking about, he, he, he said, I want to know what the quarterback's number is. And <laughs> I'm like, okay, what does that mean? And he says, it's the number of times that you can get, the defensive pass rush can get to you before he takes his mind off of what's going on downfield and starts looking in front of him at what's happening with the pass rush. What's that number? And that separates the good from the great to the Hall of Fame. And I have never heard it put that mm -hmm. way, but I love it. What's the quarterback's number? And that, I think, is what we're talking about here, is that Daniel Jones doesn't have a particularly high number in his young career. Maybe he never will. Maybe he'll grow that. But right now, he's a guy that if you can get to him and make him uncomfortable, that's all he's going to think about. I'm reminded of uh, Sam Darnold last year in that Monday night game where he's like, I'm seeing ghosts. Uh -huh. And that, I think, or the Sunday night game, I think that is what we're talking about. It's like you need to get this guy seeing ghosts early, and then it's over. Like you've already beat him mentally. Yeah, I'd say Daniel Jones' number right now is four, maybe five. 
uh, and that yeah. hasn't increased a ton. Uh, whether or not it increases, some people will argue that it can't. Uh, we certainly have seen it increase. Um, but you think of guys who, you know, Hall of Famers, you talked about Hall of Famers, like John Elway's number by the time the end of his career came around, it was like 15. You know, yeah, right. Dan Marino's. Just, just keep hitting him, he doesn't yeah, care. Yeah, <laughs> Dan Marino's number in terms of like not a mobile guy, but would hang in there and take a shot and deliver just rockets down the field. You know, 10, 11, 12 times. He'd be bitching at his offensive lineman, but he's still in there throwing bullets. Those are the guys, and it is a difference, right? Is a quarterback willing to take that? And that number goes both up and down. We've seen guys later, we've seen Trubisky last year after the shoulder injury, right? His number went down. It was not right. too many, not too many hits or, or you know, good pieces of contact, hurries, rushes, whatever. Before he was bolting and the play was over, so that number goes up and down with depending on where you are in your career, where your confidence is, whether or not you're hurt, um, how well your offense is functioning, how well your play calling's going. All of those things influence that number. So I, I love that uh, call from Quincy Avery. Yeah, Derek Carr is a good example. Broke his leg. He came back, and I think his number turned into like one, <laughs> negative one. <laughs> he just like he's just yeah, it's just like he just changed his game completely because he just did not want to get hit, which I can understand. But I'm thinking about those replays of those quarterbacks that you mentioned. Like they get hit as they're releasing the ball, and they they show the view, and the guy's on the ground, and he is like watching the ball to see. You know whether or not he doesn't care that he just got creamed. He's watching to see what what happened with that ball. Does the receiver do it? Those guys are just they're tunneled in. They they do not care what happens to them. And and that that's not Daniel Jones right now. Daniel Jones can be made uncomfortable. So that that's my number one key. Number two key Saquon Barkley. I think that offense still runs through him. And I think as we talked about earlier, Eddie Goldman not being there really exposed last week by uh, Adrian Peterson of that Lions rushing attack. And so, you know, I think Saquon Barkley is probably the the most talented running back in the league right now. I think he's kind of otherworldly, and so I'm a little bit worried about what he can do. And so, this middle up front of the defensive, uh, you know, alignment of the Bears with whoever's going to take snaps at nose tackle and those two inside linebackers really need to step up here. I agree. The middle of the Bears defense is key to stopping Saquon Barkley I think around the edges they can keep up with him uh they have some very athletic corners both of them like to tackle Uh, the middle of the Bears defense let's be honest is not going to look at all like the middle of the Pittsburgh defense they've got Cameron Hayward there and uh he just got paid and rightfully so he is one of the top three defensive tackles in the league bears don't have that right now even with eddie in there i think he might be you know top five and eh, maybe top eight in terms of nose tackles i was gonna say seven or eight yeah you know but and that's better than what they have right now it's not cam hayward so while the giants didn't look very good on the inside run against pittsburgh i didn't expect them to and i don't think many other people did either they're gonna find an easier test in the bears line but it better stiffen up because again, you're right. If Barkley begins to gash the Bears defense through the middle and the linebackers, especially Roquan and Danny, if they don't step up and plug their gaps in a much more efficient manner than they did against the Lions, the Bears could get in some early trouble in terms of being able to get the Giants off the field. Because look, if you're just handing it off, you don't have to worry about your pocket presence. 
And if they're allowed to do that and continue drives that way, especially up the middle, could be a long day. Could be a very sort of old school football game because I don't think Joe Judge is silly enough to say, oh, hey, we're making, you know, five, six yards of rush up the middle. We're going to unleash Danny and let him throw 45 times. That I just don't think right. Judge, even being a new head coach, is that silly. So it could be a very long day if they don't stiffen in the middle. Yeah, absolutely. And then if we flip to the other side, and you know, maybe I'm being a little bit generous, but early in the game, I thought the Giants' defense came out. They looked really aggressive. They were kind of flying around the football. The Steelers looked like they were a little sluggish coming out. But that Giants' defensive line was beating that Steelers' offensive line in, in pass pro, and I was kind of impressed with that. I wasn't expecting that. And then the Steelers kind of settled in. Big Ben took, took control. They've got these superior athletes uh, on the outside. They've got Juju Smith-Schuster. And, and they've got some good weapons there. And so they were able to kind of take control of that game. But I think one of my keys has to be that Trubisky in this offense needs to ride out the early storm or have a quick strike to try to take away that aggressiveness early. I think that's always a great thing to hope for. The question is, like you said, are they going to come out? Is the Giants defense going to come out and play that super aggressive style? Are they going to sit back a little bit and try and confuse Trubisky in zone, drop a bunch of guys? That's been a pretty good strategy against Trubisky. And, you know, Joe Judge certainly will have seen that. Uh, their safeties, they've got Jabril Peppers, who's a very talented athlete at strong safety. Julian loves the guy that stepped in at free safety ahead of Logan Ryan, interestingly. And, you know, I think there's some money to be made there. But again, Trubisky's got to see it and hit it. If he does early, could be a very good thing. But look, Gettleman loves his big guys up front. He's got Dalvin Tomlinson. He's got Dexter Lawrence. Uh, middle linebacker Blake Martinez is a, you know, a name familiar to Bears fans. Played in Green Bay for a while. He's there as well. Uh, they're going to have to find a few cracks that offensive line is going to have to sort of reestablish themselves and start digging people out of the trenches. And again, it's all about that sort of control. And if they can establish control early, they'll have the upper hand. But again, Trubisky's got to hit it when he sees it because you can't just run all day. Eventually they'll stack the box with eight guys and you know those yards will be tougher to come by. At some point, the quarterback has to hit throws. Yep, absolutely. And I thought Benny Snell kind of stepped in for an injured James Conner, and Benny Snell looked really good. I think he kind of ended up looking like a Pro Bowl runner. And so I think David Montgomery is more talented than Benny Snell. I, I don't think I'll get a lot of argument from anybody on that. And so I think that David Montgomery could be primed for a pretty sizable workload in this game, and I think he could hopefully he'll do a lot with it, and this might be one of those opportunities for him to really establish himself and break out. I would love to see it. I would love to see David Montgomery isoed on Blake Martinez because I would give that matchup yeah. to Montgomery probably eight out of ten times. Blake Martinez is going to make some plays. He's uh, fundamentally very sound and mentally he's very sound. He doesn't make a ton of mental mistakes, but physically he's not very gifted, and I think Montgomery's got him all day in the athletic category. So I wouldn't mind seeing that matchup one-on-one a couple times because I think Montgomery's going to win more than he loses there. Oh, those are my four keys. What am I missing? Uh, kicking game, maybe? We saw um, okay. 
Cairo Santos come in, kick pretty well for the Bears. He got added to the active roster this week. That's uh, more a function of Eddie Pinheiro uh, having to heal up and not being able to use exemptions on Cairo Santos, so it's just easier to add him to the active roster and not have to use those practice squad exemptions uh, or protection exemptions to pull him up. So uh, if he continues to kick well, again, I don't think I would love to say this is going to be a very high-scoring game for the bears but that's just a rough thing to predict right now until we see a little bit more consistency out of mitch trubisky um and he does it a couple times right if he comes out and lights a couple teams up for 25 30 points eh, maybe you'll start to think of the offense as explosive i don't right now so that means the kicking game is always going to be important uh cordell patterson looked very good returning the ball not a surprise the one sort of chink in the armor i saw was the bears kick return coverage units not punt returns but kick return coverage they allowed some decent returns Um, Agnew had some good yards for the Lions and a couple of the stops on him really came down to one guy kind of really at the deep end of the V if you're talking about wedges and kickoff coverage and it's like oh if that guy didn't make the tackle he's you know he's gone for another 20-25 yards and they didn't get burned on it, so nobody's really going to be paying attention to it. But I think, uh, you know, the Bears kind of got away with one on special teams a little bit. Patterson definitely bailed them out with some good field position. He's going to continue to need to do that to give them favorable spots and let them start with short fields. But on the flip side, um, punt coverage looked really good because, look, Cordero Patterson's one of the best gunners in the in the National Football League. But the kick coverage is going to have to tighten up a little bit. If the Bears are lucky enough to be kicking off, you know, more than three or four times uh, they can't allow that big dagger return to go the other way for 60 yards and and give daniel jones a a short field because he's going to hit on a few of those and they'll come up with points and again without an explosive offense this is kind of how all three phases work together they can't afford to give up a cheap lead yeah I, i don't like punting too much but i realize just how much i missed Cordell Patterson on as a gunner on the punt coverage teams because it's so much fun when the camera finally finds the punt returner and Cordell Patterson is standing right there waiting for him to muff the ball. I miss that so, so much, and I love Cordero Patterson, and he is incredible, and I will fight for him on this team until he decides to hang it up because he is uh, so much fun in so many different ways. In the backfield, on the uh, on kick returns, and as a gunner i was very pleased that they actually used him more exclusively in the backfield uh they had talked about that all off season that they moved him to the running back room i really thought they might kind of bring him out 50 50 he did run around catch a ball but you know that was almost motion from the backfield so it really did look like he's more settled in at running back which i think is probably his better position on offense but i'm with you nothing like watching that guy tower over some tiny little returner because he is a for those of you that haven't seen Cordero Patterson in person, he's a big dude. When you yes. look at him, physically, impulsive. you think that's a tight end, right? And then, yeah, and then 100%. he runs out, you know, four three four four at that size, and you're like, man, he's, you know, what is he six three six four two twenty? And you're just like, whoa, that guy can move at his size, and he's, you know, over some guy that's five ten one eighty eight is the you know jitterbug kick returner, and Patterson's just towering over him when he catches the ball. That's fun. <laughs> it's uh, you know, last year there was a picture 
of Derrick Henry and Deion Lewis on the Titans that was kind mm-hmm. of making the rounds. And I think that we need to get one of Cordell Patterson and Tariq Cohen mm. because I think that that would be equally as amusing. Yeah, and they're in the same room now. So speaking yep, speaking of Mr. Henry, watching the Monday night game, I figured out how to beat Derrick Henry. <laughs> get him wide and make him turn. <laughs> yeah, sure. He's not he's like good a, at it. You get him ahead of steam, like a, forget like about a big boat. it. Yep. You get him ahead of steam, forget about it. He's going to bully over. But you get him out wide and make him make a 90-degree cut, you're probably going to get him. I was going to say put him in elevation. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, All right, well, uh, let's uh, let's talk about your beer. uh, This is an incredibly surprising beer. I said it was incredibly bright, uh, that it poured with quite a bit of carbonation that has a very light golden color and, and definitely had that sort of you know, farmhouse ale size on smell to it. Um, upon first taste, this is almost a sour. This is oh. incredibly bitey uh, in terms of its character. It's almost, um, it almost tastes like it's brewed from lemons, right? It has that very sort of citrusy, well, not citrusy in a citrus sort of way, but the bite. The bite you get if you, like, bite into a lemon, you get that sour face, right? People, you know, bitter beer face, right? Well, a little bit of that, but if you like that sour character, if you like sours, uh, short sours, all the quick sours they've been doing now, you would love this. It's uh, it's complex, and it definitely has some multi-overtones after that, but boy, what you get on that sort of first contact when you pour it in your mouth is that bright carbonated oh this is really sour um and you get used to that over time but uh i was a bit surprised uh most uh saisons have a little bit of that character but it is right up front and kind of banging down the door in this beer so absolutely well this is an actual whiskey sour (laughs) variant uh, for my comeback cocktail and I will say that I'm sure that there's going to be a purist out there that's like, just pour it in a glass and drink it. You can absolutely do that. With you know, this. It's, my favorite it's a thing, beautiful whiskey. my favorite thing about uh, Twitter and just life in general is random strangers from across the globe telling me how to A, drink any kind of alcohol or B, <laughs> how I should prepare my meat. <laughs> right like you yes. can't do that and i'm like i bought the damn thing i can do it however i want to so that i'd I take no end of joy from people saying you can't do that you can't mix that you know high-end alcohol with that cheap mixer uh yeah no i can and it actually tastes great or you can't cook that steak until it's brown all the way through not typically the way i like it but if i want to and i paid for it i most certainly can sure. thank you very much 100%, and I will say that this is fresh squeezed lemons and limes. This is not a cheap mixer. I am making premium cocktails in the Burkis household, so this is no no, no, no uh, expense spared on that end of it. Those, these are real lemons and limes. But the point is, this drink is delicious. And if you have not made this drink in your house, you should try it because it is amazing. 
Absolutely. So apparently what you're telling me is we need Lester with a full supply of Zima and you with a full bar to be able to make these very fresh fruit cocktails so that we can continue to have these wins. And if that's the recipe, I am going to find a source for both because I would love the Bears to continue the streak. And I think they probably will against the Giants. The Giants aren't a great football team right now. But we'll be watching all the games. We hope you're watching all the games. You can find our work on Windy City Gridiron. We've mentioned it several times. Got a bunch of podcasts. Keep your eye on that. We might have something new coming soon. And, of course, uh, you can follow JB on Twitter at GridironBorn. You can follow me on Twitter at TheDraftsmanFB, as in football, or on my other podcast, The Bootleg Football Podcast. And until next week when we talk about how the Bears did against the Giants and preview the next week's opponent, Bear Down. <laughs>